Welcome back, Reality Redemption. How you doing, Snow? Good. How are you? I am okay. We'll get right into it this week with our normal BS that we usually do, because we have the great Jim Hinckley. Call me anything but late for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> How you been, Jim? Not too bad. Not too bad at all. Yeah. So, we're going to be talking about his new book, his last book, book number 19, if I'm that right murder and mayhem on the main street of america tales from bloody 66 so this book came out last year last october yeah and um how's the promotion been on it it's uh like everything this year it's been off the rails it's uh well it's like trying to sell tickets to the titanic sometimes but you just got to keep going it's uh, learning to do, sell things more on the internet, e-commerce and uh, promotion, things like this. Uh, interviews, I just finished an interview this morning with an Irish travel channel. Uh, we did it via video. So we'll just keep going that way. Right, like Zoom? Yeah, Zoom and Google Meeting and other things that I didn't even know existed until this started. Yeah, well, I'll have to relearn everything. That's kind of why my... Um fumbling with this podcast and laying the technology here I bought this nice new mixing board couldn't get fired up this morning so we're doing this another way um, maybe just I'll just speak up just a little bit um, it's a little bit low so what led you to write this book everything I do I try to add depth and context to a subject and Route 66 we have a tendency to see it in the context of neon and tail fins and I wanted to take it a little bit deeper, show it that it was the main street of America. And the other part of it, too, is this, that we have a tendency to look back on the good old days. And uh, the good old days are whenever you're alive and breathing. We've always had dark sides of life. Um, let's, uh, let's get into a couple stories on this. Do you have a particular favorite one? One of, one, of the, one of the ones that was really interesting was a family in New Mexico that disappeared back in the 1930s. They had a tendency to travel with another couple. I think you might remember this. They were out of East St. Louis. And uh, they would take these big epic trips together every year, these two couples. And they went out to see uh, the new Hoover Dam, uh, Boulder Dam. And then they were going to go down to San Diego. Then they followed uh, Route 66 west visiting people, sending postcards. They were going to the exposition in San Diego. And uh, they stopped in Vaughan, New Mexico, south of Tucumcari to visit with some people and were never seen again. And uh, the story got kind of interesting because uh, they interviewed the FBI agent who was in charge of this uh, in the 1940s when he retired. And he said the FBI had put together a file over 10 feet high investigating this. But what made it really difficult and problematic is they were investigating more than a dozen almost identical cases along Route 66 in Arizona and New Mexico between 1936 and 1938. Snow, you had a particular story that you enjoyed? Oh, I would, well, I was just going to say about the book that what I liked a lot is... Um, I'm a union person. I liked how you also talked about like all the union struggle and like the um, at the beginning of the book, more like in the Chicago area, it, because there there are a lot stronger unions out that way out east. But I liked that, and I liked all the other um, 
stories too about like the race situations that were happening during the times too. I liked all the history added into it and I loved all the historical pictures, like how you were able to get your hands on all those. That was really cool. Sometimes it just pays to know people in low places. (laughs) (laughs) How long did it take you to write this? About a year. About a year. I try to crank about one a year. And what was your first book? My first book was a a little book on the Checkered Cab Manufacturing Company. That's another thing that I thought was cool. Like, uh, I I had no idea that Hertz started as a cab company. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. And he also, John Hertz, also manufactured, before Checker started manufacturing cars, John Hertz started manufacturing cars uh, as taxis. Yeah, didn't he start Yellow Cab? He started Yellow Cab, and then there was, uh, then of course, Checker. The Checker Cab story, even though, uh, you know, it doesn't have to do with this, but the Checker is kind of an intriguing story, speaking of gangsters, mobsters, and Letting your imagination go wild, but you mentioned John Hertz. Uh, Morris Markin had some questionable connections. He's the fellow founded Checker. And, of course, they had uh, the, the, the taxi franchises were fighting, but the companies were also fighting among themselves for a portion of the market. And when John Hertz would not sell his Hertz, uh, his Hertz uh, company, manufacturing company, uh, all of a sudden his stable with prize racehorses went up in flames. Oh, Ten days later, he sold his company. Wow. Sold it to and sold it to General Motors instead of the people who were trying to get the company. Oh wow! The I pressure love, was I on. Love those stories. I know there are so many cool stories like that. What's the creepiest story you've ever heard that kind of shocks you to your bones? Like you interviewed these people, you sat down, you talked to them, like. Is there something that still just kind of like rattles your bones? Well, there's a lot of stories, you know, and we, we there again, it's, it's, it just goes to show you that some things never change, and there's always people that are just, don't know, no other way you can put it, just they're just evil people, pure and simple. Mr. Falk was a, you know, a prime example. That, yeah, can we get into that story a little bit? I, I found that one fascinating. Yeah, go ahead. What you got? Well, no, no, you, you, you tell a story on it. Um, well, just give us a little, little Mr. Folk was, um, that's the one out by uh, Goodwater, uh, Arizona. Raped and murdered a young lady, uh, tied her husband up. Uh, he was just a, just a real psychotic, savage person. Right, and he was stalking them for quite a while. All the way across New Mexico and Arizona. Yeah, and then um, Snow. Um, well, when I started reading the book, too, I was like, I wonder if Bonnie and Clyde had anything to do with this path. And then later they were talked about in it, yeah. too, because they're always fascinating to read about also. Well, you know, Bonnie and Clyde, of course, they got a lot of attention, but there were some others that were far more uh, crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. They weren't, I mean, like, they didn't, I don't know why there wasn't attention paid on other people besides just maybe they were thought to be like more glamorous it's always about press and publicity too you know the the selling newspapers they pick on a story like this whichever like when you interview these people is there something that just comes along like I was covering the James Rector case and I just felt this weird vibe of just pure 
just kind of like pure evil, but I mean, like, I know the kid got kind of messed up, but like, it was just weird to see this guy in court smirking and the judge was like, okay, you know, we got to set this back a couple weeks. I mean, this guy did some really serious, disgusting stuff and the guy was like smiling through the whole court case. I'm like, wow. I felt super weird just being like 15 feet from him. Um, when you say interview, so did you interview some of the killers? No, but I did talk to some of the families. Um, uh, the, the kids who were uh, murdered up by, the parents who were murdered up by Seligman back in the 1950s, sleeping in their car, remember that? Yes. And the Welsh family. Yeah, and, and they and he didn't kill the baby, right? No, the, the, yeah. the, the three sons were left. Okay. And uh, I talked to two of the sons. And of course, this has stayed with them all their life. You know, but it's, uh, you know, the ripple effects from these, these people. And what you talked about right there, you know, see, the, the ripple effects. You just enter, just sitting there in the courtroom, you've been affected by this person. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, should, I should mention we have Aaron and Stephanie here. Hi, Stephanie. <laughs> Hello. She didn't say anything yet. We're back. <laughs> They're back again. I, I had something to, to that effect. Um, Back in the day, my mom worked in a rehab in New Hampshire. And do you remember Stephen King's bike accident back in the, I think it was in the 80s? Is that the one where he got hit by a van? Yeah, he got hit by a van. Well, he got addicted to painkillers, so he went to rehab. My mother had to do the intake meeting on him. And what you're saying is you get a vibe of creepy people. He said that she was interviewing him, and he was... Not looking at her, but it was like it was looking into her. She said it was the creepiest thing. And I was a big Stephen King fan at the time. I'm like, Mom, how can you take my copy of Pet Cemetery and get have him sign it? Right? <laughs> People who, who write write horror stuff have got to be pretty fucked to begin with. So. Speaking of getting books signed, how come you didn't have Jim sign our books? We're going to do that here. We okay. He's right yeah, here. It's more personal this way. I deface the books. You know, joking about defacing books, but... Uh, Writing, you know how this works. I mean, writing is, uh, that's why I have a side job, to pay for the writing habit. But I did a book signing one time up at Hastings, and a book sold out, and they uh, didn't have any others, but I, told, I, I made a deal with Hastings, and that if people would order the book, pay for it, and then it, I'd drive by Hastings every day, I'd stop in and sign their books for them. And uh, I got a, uh, about a week later, I never got a call from Hastings, but about a week later, I stopped in the store, and there was all the books lined up on the top of the oh shelf. Oh, my God. So I asked the lady, I says, you know, you, uh, I'll sign all these books because some of these I know are sold. And I said, she said, well, I'll have to ask the manager. We just can't have random people come in here and deface books. Uh, <laughs> do they want your ID or something? As a matter of fact, they did, yes. <laughs> so I'm the guy that wrote the book. I'm going to go sign it. all these books over here. <laughs> I know. Who would people. randomly just do that? Who doesn't know Jim Hinckley? I mean, come on. And how'd, right? you like, how'd you like the nice dentist out of St. Louis? The one who was uh, prolific. Was oh, yeah. Killing people for over 10, 12, 14, 15 years. They say the dentists are creepy like that. And I was like, yeah. The one that I thought was like the grossest one out of the kid one was the one where they 
had her like wrapped up, but it was only part of her. She was already dead, but they made well, like they had her head and other Los, parts of her were gone. Yeah, Los Angeles. That one was awful. And the Bobby Greenlee's killing and kidnapping back in the fifties. You know that really shocked everybody because you know they just cold blooded kidnapped and killed the kid and pretended like he was alive and tried to collect the money. Yeah. Yeah, it reminded me of that case, kind of, because they wanted ransom for the the twin girl. Mm-hmm. They were talking about how could they even let her, how could the school let her go, because they didn't realize that she was a twin or something, and he just said he asked for the daughter. Well, you get into things, and you, you know, people, people are capable of some pretty dark things. One, you mentioned interviews. Of course, I couldn't really interview some of these people, but... When I started reading the newspaper accounts and some of the journals written by the newspaper reporters, uh, the East St. Louis race riots in 1917-18, it's just astounding that people would line up on a bridge and shoot at people trying to swim across the river. Uh, You know, and uh, the the, the killings, I mean, you know, uh, stabbing people with ice picks and, you know, and and on the street. it just, just, and then go back to uh, business as normal. Yeah, this is an accepted part of life. The Tulsa race riots in the, in the Greenwood district. Yeah, I like that you covered that, and and the fact that you talked about how most people there don't like to talk about it. That's true. Like I watched a documentary, and both sides were sitting there saying that no one really will talk about the incident. They don't want to talk about it. Well, this is, uh, you know, on Route 6, we, we have a tendency there again to go back. We see the 1950s in the context of neon and tail fins. And I do not mean this is a political statement at all, but we also forget when we talk about Route 66 in the glory days, it depends on what color you are. The Negro motorist for the Green Book, you know, uh, things of that nature. We only had one property in Kingman that was listed in, in the uh, uh, Green Book for the Negro motorist. Which one was that? White Rock Court. Oh, okay. Down here. Was, we've all heard that myth of that sign that was supposedly out of town. Was that myth or is that real? Well, thing? that's a running thing. You know, Andy Andy Sampson and I do programs together every once in a while. And we've talked about that a lot. Almost everybody who's lived in Kingman for more than 50 years swears the sign's true and they've seen it, but they've never seen it in the same location. It's kind of like the Clark Gable and Carol Lombard stories. You tell a story long enough. Yeah, we'll get we'll get into that one in just a minute. Um, Jim, where can they find your book? Well, jimhinkleysamerica.com. Uh, Amazon carries all my books. Okay. And then if they're local, do they sell well, them in the no, museums they, they won't, or anything? They, uh, they do have the some, some, some of my books in the uh, Mojave Museum of History and Arts gift shop. They do not sell them at the Powerhouse. And Calico's does sell my books here in Kingman. Is Calico's open again? It was the other day. Okay. Yeah, they opened it. And I saw, I, I saw a bunch of your books um, just up as you're going up 66 towards Valentine, that little general store. Oh, well, the Hackberry General oh, Store. That, Hackberry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They had a bunch of your books there, too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for those listening, because we have people from around the country actually listen to this, that, uh, you know, check out Jim's, Jim Hinckley's America. Buy the book on Amazon. It's a really good book. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we had a few things like the mayor of Santa Rosa who was a murderer. And, you know. I want to go there to that blue hole. 
the blue hole is pretty extraordinary. Yeah. It's one of the few places on Route 66 that is aptly named. It's a big, <laughs> it's a big blue hole. Yeah. Unlike, unlike Uranus Not Fudge a, Company, uh, the big blue hole really is a big blue hole. Not a very creative name, though, is it? What's that? I still want to go jump big in Big blue it. hole. <laughs> That's what it is. Not very creative, though. But, yeah, the, yeah. With a different name for it, then. The um, I had a question just about Route 66, because um, I've never traveled the whole thing, but I watched it before I had read your book. Like, about a week before, I had watched this thing where a guy traveled with his father just showing people the different spots along Route 66. And it seems like in the state of Oklahoma, they've kept up their part of Route 66 really nicely. Like, like as far as lots of museums and stuff, I was just wondering if that's what it seemed when I watched the documentary. Like, that it is a good place to go if you want to check out the museums. Yeah, Oklahoma, there's a couple states that have done extremely well. They've tapped into Route 66 as a catalyst for tourism, economic development, and community revitalization. Uh, and they've sold everything on the hog, including the squeal. They've just figured out how to do this. And Oklahoma's done a pretty good job. Uh, Illinois has really been exceptional. Uh, Missouri's starting to pick up pretty good. You're starting to see more young people involved with this. Uh, cool. I think when last year I stopped in Cuba, Missouri, um, it's a place that you've been involved in, and by your recommendation, and I just love that little town. It's Cuba is an amazing little town, it, it, on all levels. Uh, I do not know of any town that small. It's about thirty-five hundred people, uh, and towns that are five times larger. That that ha they don't have that that many eclectic, fascinating, and good restaurants. Uh, it's astounding, and they've got one of the uh, just an incredible industrial and business park there. And, and the murals are incredible there. The whole walking tour of the, for the murals downtown, uh, like I say, the restaurants are, are all top notch. Every every restaurant I've tried there has been very good. They're all different. Uh, a lot of intriguing people there. There's, there's it's just a nice town with with strong community spirit. And so what got you involved in Route 66, the love affair? Now, if you want to edit this and include the Twilight Zone music, please feel free. <laughs> Snow can do that. <laughs> love that. It's my thing. But uh, pretty much everything in my life since about 1959 has been tied to Route 66. And yes, I am that old. Uh, we made our first trip west uh, out here to Arizona in 59 from Virginia. Followed a lot of Route 66. What part of Virginia? My dad was stationed in Norfolk. Okay, I lived in Virginia Beach for a few years. Virginia, I've been there, done that. And uh, <laughs> I was, of course, pretty young, don't really remember much about the trip. And then uh, in the summer of 66, my pa got out of the military and he'd been uh, Navy and then Coast Guard on the Great Lakes. He was World War II vet, Navy, and then Coast Guard on the lakes. And then he'd been. Uh, he said no more. He's done with the water, done with the ocean, done with all of that. I'm not imaginative enough to make this up. He folded a map so there was no coast, no lakes, and threw a dart. <laughs> Yucca, Arizona was the closest. So just like, like some like Beverly Hillbillies thing, we loaded up. We lived in Port Huron, Michigan at the time, and uh, we drove to just south of Chicago, picked up Route 66, and came out here. 
And if it wasn't enough to move out here, my dad had bought property site unseen. It was supposed to be this beautiful land development, all this. It was out on Oatman Road down at the bottom of the valley. And it was a land boondoggle and a half out there. So not only did we move to Kingman, which I thought, I, I thought this was a place they warned me about in Sunday school, but we ended up, <laughs> we ended up out on Oatman Road down at the bottom of the valley. And uh, you ever see the movie Old Brother Ward, Thou? I love yeah. that movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was my mom's family down mm -hmm. south out of Sand Mountain, Alabama. So I'd spend my summers on my folks' farms down in uh, Mont Eagle, Tennessee, and uh, Scottsboro, Dutton, Alabama, and down in that country. So I was used to, just like the people in Old, Old Brother Ward, Thou. I mean, I, I, I used to that kind of people. Nothing prepared me for the people that were out there in the desert. Dry, dry roasted nuts, pure and sour. Dry roasted nuts. You know, I, I always say it's like due to the lack of water around here that just yeah. drives people crazy. Lack of shade, water, trees, rivers, creeks, culture. Kingman was a unique place. A goddamn library. What was Kingman like back then? It was really frozen in time, right up until the 1990s. And it, my first weekend in Kingman, when we first come here, we couldn't find the property my dad had bought, and he ended up getting a place out uh, along the, right on the road. And we lived right down here on Maple Street, right on the corner, and uh, the first place we lived in. And uh, my first weekend in Kingman, I took my allowance and went down to the State Theater. They were only open on Friday and Saturday nights. And uh, down on the corner, down here on Beale Street. And uh, even as a kid, I knew this wasn't right. They were showing Gone with the Wind. <laughs> it's 1966, and we're getting Gone with the Wind in Kingman. And uh, it was a different town. It was, it was really different. Uh, we had three barbers downtown. And uh, one, old Bob Wall, he cut hair from the 50s into the 90s, same place. And as late as the late 1980s, You'd go in there at six in the morning for a haircut, and he'd say, "I got one ahead of you," and there's nobody in there. And the, huh. the police chief would pull up and leave the car running out front while he came and got his haircut. <laughs> uh, it was like Mayberry. And then we had another barber down the street by the theater around the corner. You could always tell newcomers to Kingman or tourists that got their haircut at his barber shop in the afternoon because their sideburns would be about three inches different and odds and ends. Because the old man, he'd start hit a refrigerator behind his bar, uh, his barber chair with a full of Coors beer, and he'd start sipping on beer about nine, and by noon he'd lock up for thirty minutes an hour and go have a couple highballs down at the frontier, and by one or two o'clock in the afternoon he's holding on to the chair with one hand and trying to cut hair on the head between the two that he sees, and uh, it was it was pretty bad, and then the other barber next to the theater, he was just a great old man, but he. Scared the absolute holy hell out of me as a kid to go in there because he was a World War One vet that had really bad palsy in one arm, and he'd use a straight razor to trim their sideburns. Oh, oh, oh my God! Oh. And so, so he'd hold the bad hand with his good hand that is just as smooth as silk. But every time I went in there, I knew I was going to see an ear on the floor. <laughs> uh, uh, but it was a different kind of town, and uh, it, it was it, it kind of grew on me. It really was special. You know, uh, I, I started, I had a John Wayne period, and I started working ranches and things around here. And uh, I'd come into town to court my wife, and uh, 
We'd go to the State Theater and go down to Jan Soda Fountain at Kingman Drug when I'd come into town. Remember that? Like right down at the corner and, of uh, yeah, 4th and Annie. Where Oplossio is. I grew up downtown. Yeah. I knew. So my, but my wife and uh, my wife's, uh, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, when they were dating back in the 50s, that's what they'd done. They had done the same thing. It, it went, uh, they, they had dated the same way. You know, going to the same thing, Jan Soda Fountain State Theater. It had, it had just it hadn't changed, and uh, of course, sporties. You know, that's the one thing downtown. It's exactly as it was when I was a kid. I don't think uh, I had never been uh, in sporties. Really? What? Yeah, I have never been. Whoa, that's what? you may not have a chance. Two now. out of five right now, right? You've been in sporties. Oh yeah. You've been in sporties. Mm-hmm. No, I have never no been interest. in forties. What are you waiting for? <laughs> well, for one thing, it's closed right now. I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're not. Oh my god! No, a little, little inside info. Um, you know, Jim and I used to work together. I, I'm not gonna say where we used to work together. Right. But it wasn't the most pleasant job. Hmm. But could you imagine every day if I needed to get away from the the customers, I would go over and talk to Jim. Could you imagine? I got to hear these stories every single day. Nice. It was awesome. That would be cool. <laughs> this is how this whole thing started with Jim Hinckley's America. I've had people tell me that I can do this all day and enjoy myself, even if I'm the only one in the room, and that I seem to have a gift for telling people where to go. So that's how this whole thing got started. Yeah, like I'm a fan of your walking tours. I did one of the where we walked around and you told mm. us what the old buildings used to be. Mm. That was super cool. To, Whenever tourism gets back up, yes, should keep you, doing you, you that. You did a virtual one yesterday, didn't you? Yeah, I did one the other day, kind of a virtual tour downtown, trying to get interested. Working with Desert Wonder Tours, I offer walking tours downtown and uh, things of that nature. And we, we touched on it briefly a few minutes ago, but can you clear up the Clark Gable myth? Well, I don't like to kick legends to the curb. Help. If you go down the street here below, uh, next to the, the, let's see, it'd be 5th Street. Uh, it's now a county uh, building. I can't remember what the county building is, but it was the Methodist Episcopal Church. And it's on the corner of Spring and 5th, next to the Benelli House across. There's a little plaque. Clark Gable and Carol Lombard married there in March 1939 and uh, had a little reception at the Brunswick Hotel. And then they followed Highway 466 up through Las Vegas and over to California. And they were in Los Angeles the next morning at 8 o'clock for a press interview. So the legend is they honeymooned in Oatman. Right. I want to hear yeah. more of this. Well, so... Oatman um, says that, too. Yeah. Yeah, it must have been an off-the-shore honeymoon. Sign. Right? That story never showed up in Oatman until the 1960s when they renamed the hotel and a fellow bought it. And mysteriously, the guest register that he had burned up in a shed fire. And But it works. It's a legend that sells things. And huh. But it uh, would have been an awful short honeymoon. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, cause how, how long would it take to drive from here to California on 66 at that time? Man, it's what a long run. I mean... Uh, Got, you know, through Oatman and whatnot, cars, traffic. And you got to consider the traffic. The road was only part of the deal. Think of the traffic that was on that road. In 1939, the Arizona Highway Department, the first time clocked one million cars entering Arizona on Route 66 in a 12-month period. 
Think about that, going up through Oltman and things, a million cars a year on that road. I know, that, that road's pretty pretty treacherous. Yes. Although, I, I went, uh, for the first time a few months ago, I, I went on the other side from Oltman to Topak, mm-hmm. and I was driving a new Mustang, and boy, that was a fun drive. Yeah. <laughs> the road's all, now you, can, now you can enjoy it. Route 66 today, you can have your cake and eat it too. You can have fun on Route 66, and when you get tired of it, you can jump on the interstate. You know, you don't have to just put up with it. You know, you don't have to baste in your own juices as you cross the desert without air conditioning. I always wondered that about you. I was like, when you're doing this travel yeah. from, say, to here to Cuba, do you stay on 66 or do you hop off? It depends. You know, it depends on my schedule. Last year, I had a really brutal schedule. I had a tour company here from New Zealand on Tuesday morning. I uh, had a breakfast, a brunch with them, and I finished up and I hit the road. And I had to be in Michigan uh, noon on Friday for a presentation. So I just pretty much did the old truck driving thing and drove. Coming back, they did a lot of Route 66. But, but I, mean, uh, I imagine that has really slowed down this year. Dramatically, depending on who you talk to, uh, international tourism is roughly 60% of of Route 66, and uh, there is no international travel. Probably won't be. To kind of backtrack a little bit there with Oatman Road. Believe it or not, I not only learned to ride a bicycle out there, I learned to drive on that road. And my first paying job was for Ed Edgerton up at Ed's camp. Um, speaking of highways, so at the end of your book, it says um, that Route 66 is not America's longest highway. What is well, uh, it was U.S. 6. U.S. 6 started in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and went all the way to Long Beach, California. Oh, wow. But they truncated that road now at Bishop, California. and uh, But it still runs uh, from Bishop, California, all the way to uh, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Wow. I've never driven on that I one. should have known that. <laughs> Route 66 is not our most historic, most scenic highway, but it's always, from its inception, it's always had the best press and publicity. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's developed a life of its own. And of course, I mean, when you think about it, it's a highway that officially does not even exist anymore. And yet, they have an event in Czech Republic with 20,000 people from 10 countries celebrating American music cars in Route 66. Right, well, why do you think it is that way? Why, why so much... Yeah, why are they On 66, why is it such an international? Well, there's, there's a multitude of reasons. Um, it's come to symbolize the ultimate American experience, the freedom of the road, things of this nature. Uh, for some of the folks, I was privileged, uh, I was a, attending a conference, an economic development conference in California, and uh, Zenik Jurisic of uh, the Czech Republic, uh, Czech Route 66 Association, man, even in his broken English, he had people... There wasn't a dry eye in the house. He was talking about growing up in a communist country and uh, listening to Radio Free Europe, watching bootleg copies of Easy Rider, things of this nature. And he said for his generation, Route 66 came to symbolize what the Statue of Liberty did for a previous generation. I thought, oh man, that's pretty powerful stuff. Hmm. Right, and it, you know, it, it's also gone in movies, um, you know, like... Movies have been filmed around here. Uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, that was filmed. We've got... Help me at the airport, right? Yeah. Uh, We've got, at last count, close to 100 major motion pictures that have been filmed all or in part here. 
plus celebrity associations. Going back to 1918 with uh, Harry Carey, nothing to do with suicide. Uh, it was actually an a actor named Harry Carey. And uh, he filmed a couple movies here, 1918 at Tab Duncan's Place out by Hackberry. And uh, did another one probably around 22. Buster Keaton uh, stayed at the Hotel Beale and filmed a movie. You can see it on uh, YouTube called Go West. And he filmed that movie out of Tab Duncan's uh, Ranch, which is now the uh, Grand Canyon Western Ranch. It used to be the Diamond Bar. Mm -hmm. Also part of Mars Attack. Mm -hmm. Mars Attack was here. Two great yeah. movies that you can watch if you're into old stuff. You want to see Kingdom the way it was. Uh, Edge of Eternity, 5859. Mm -hmm. That was an Academy nominated film, but it was all filmed in the Kingman area. Downtown Kingman, the courthouse, everything. And uh, the final scene was up at the uh, Grand Canyon West on the cable car going across the Grand Canyon that was built there. I remember when they filmed Roadhouse 66, they were doing the drag races yes. right down, uh, it's not, is it 4th Street or 3rd Street? It's 4th Street, 4th right? Street, 4th. Yeah. <laughs> and they The, the street I walk down every day when I go to Circle K to get coffee and donuts. Um, like, because I grew up right down on 5th Street, and they were just like, Filming drag races all up and down all day. The movie crews were out, and I saw them. I, I, I remember that. And they filmed the interior scenes at the tavern, and then the exterior scenes were at that old uh, roadhouse across the tracks over on Old Trails Road. What? And uh, I got involved with that. I had just come back to Kingman. It was one of the best jobs I ever had. Being a good capitalist, I got the best, best job in the world. Uh, they wanted tumbleweeds. For this, for this one scene, the junkyard scenes, they didn't feel there was enough tumbleweeds. And I was in between jobs because the mines had shut down. So in, in the daytime, I was cutting brush up here on Lynette Drive for this lady. And they were paying me to haul all this tumbleweeds and dead brush out there. And they had these big catering trucks with food. So I was getting paid at both ends of the cow. Nice. <laughs> what made you get into writing? I'm a, you know, I've always wanted to write. When I was a kid, I just love books. I still try to read at least two books a month on a variety of subjects. And uh, my dear wife, she encouraged me. You know, she's back in 1990. And uh, she says, why don't you try writing some of this stuff down? Mm -hmm. And uh, typical me, I'm one of these folks that uh, I, I, don't have, I don't read instructions. And... Uh, so when I put the bicycle together for the kids at Christmas and the handlebars where the seat goes, then I get out the instructions. Well, I did the same thing with writing. Are you familiar with Hemings Motor News? Uh, Hemings Classic Car. It's one of the top automotive magazines in the country. And uh, automotive history is pretty much how I started writing. And I became kind of a specialist with the 1885 to World War II automotive history. And so I just, instead of sending a query letter, all the things you're supposed to do, I just picked up my favorite magazine and called the editor, and we talked for a half hour, and next thing you know, I, I sold a story, and I got up my 1948 Enderwood typewriter, and and uh, Kmart camera, and took some pictures of this wrecking yard. What I found kind of typewriter? 1948 Enderwood typewriter. Now you're talking here. Do you still you. have it? No. Uh, he, would want, he wants to buy one. Uh, <laughs> but, I have my Smith Galaxy 2. I thought I broke it, but I realized that I didn't. 
set the um, there's that part where you separate the red tape from the black tape. Yes. And I'm like, oh, fucking thank God it works again. I was going to bring it over here. And I'm like, oh my God. I was just like so relieved. I hate typing on computers. I hate typing on laptops. There's, there's something about a typewriter that just makes it so much more complete and soulful. I don't know. What what do you write on? I mean... I haven't written on paper for 15 years. And, you know, to be honest, I, I you know, I might say, I am I joke about modern Amish, but I didn't even have a cell phone until about six years ago. Right. I had to leave it to Beaver rotary phone on the wall until about eight years <laughs> ago. <laughs> Avocado green. Uh, nice. What? I think my grandma still has one of those. My wife and I were married probably more than 20 years before I had a truck that was manufactured after I was born. And uh, I just, you know, always done the old stuff. But uh, writing on the computer is to me is is a lot better. Uh, I also, you know, keep a journal with pencil and paper. But typewriter, carbon paper, all that stuff is uh, it's a challenge. I mean, trying to do some of this stuff. And do you keep these with you? Oh yeah, I've always got pencil and paper going. uh, But as a writing, you know, I started out. It's as you know, it doesn't pay much, and, and, and but it's 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 incredible adventure, uh, just just astounding. It's gotten me into interviews with Jay Leno and Jay Leno's Garage. Uh, it's gotten me. To, yeah, I was going to ask about that. It got me to Europe, you know, on multiple yeah. occasions, speaking engagements and things in Europe. Uh, friendships all over the world. It's it's the, the money is not there, but it's yeah, rest got of that it. right. <laughs> so, have you pretty much been everywhere? Like, to every country? Oh, no, and... no, no. Not oh, even started. Uh, Mexico and Canada. I used to run, when I was driving trucks, I'd run uh, trucks in the United States and Canada. Uh, just across the border, up uh, Duluth, Thunder Bay, up in the north country. And um, I spent a little bit of time. I used to work along the Mexican border when I was working ranches. And I used to we'd go down to Mexico quite a lot. And then uh, Europe, Netherlands, uh, Belgium, uh, Germany, Austria... Czechoslovakia, Poland, Slovakia. Yeah, that's quite a few places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Way more than I've been to. I never could have imagined when I was living on that road out there in the middle of the desert working for Old Man Edgerton that that road would take me that far. Uh, let's talk about the Jay Leno. What, what happened there? This is something, it's really it's the story of my life. It just it really <laughs> sums up everything. When I quit driving trucks, I decided I'd never go to L.A. again. And so I never went over Cajon Pass. I'd stop at either Victimville or, <laughs> or Hysteria. I just never went any further. And uh, uh, there's a bookstore in Burbank over on Magnolia Boulevard. Been there since the 50s. It's a tremendous bookstore, auto books, aero books. You can buy new and used books all the way back, auto repair manuals back 1903. It's, just, it's an incredible bookstore. Nice. And I, but I'd never been there. I knew of it. And I was working this rental car agency here in Kingdom and... Uh, and sold some of my books there at the time. The owner did. The fellow broke down, and he rented a car and bought one of my books, and he came back two days later, and he says, you know, I really like this book. And it was a Seinfeld kind of book, the big book of car culture. It was about nothing. History of highway striping, <laughs> the history of seat belts, just, just <laughs> oddball stuff. And he says, do you know if they sell this at auto books, aero books? And I said, you know, no idea. And at the time, I had a part-time job. Um, I was associate editor for Cars and Parts magazine. And uh, 
Anyway, he says, uh, asked me if they sold my book at Auto Books, Aero Books. And I told him I had no clue. And so he says, well, let me check. The owner, Tina Van Curen, was his neighbor. So he calls her up, and she says, yeah, we sell books. She puts me on the phone with her, and she says, you know, we'd like to have you come over for a book signing sometime. And I knew of the store. And they, every Saturday they have what they call a cruise-in. People just show up with their cars, and they have a book signing. But it was the big boys, Carol Shelby, you know, these kind of people would go there to this bookstore. And she books it six months in advance. So I wasn't, uh, yeah, I said, well, I'll, sure, I'll do a book signing. Just call me sometime, and I'll, I'll wander over to Burbank. And uh, about three, four weeks later, she says, you know, I know this is short notice. It's Tuesday. She says, I've had a cancellation this Saturday. Can you come over and sign books? And uh, on Friday, the day before I left, Brad Bowling, the editor at uh, Cars and Parts magazine, he said, would you like to write an our feature for us on Doble Steam Cars? I says, yeah, I, I can do that. I says, I'm, I'm heading out for California tomorrow. And he says, well, that's even better. There's a new museum opening in El Segundo, the Automobile Driving Museum. Can you cover that this weekend? So I was killing two birds with one stone. Well, the short version of this thing is I do a quick research on Doble. I knew a little bit about the Doble steamers, but I found two really interesting things. And I don't believe in the Easter Bunny, but uh, sometimes you just got to wonder about coincidence. I found out that Jay Leno had just recently purchased one of the last, there's only like six or seven Dobles in the world. He had just bought one. And I found out that he was such a regular at that cruise-in at that store in Burbank that even though they're limited on parking, they reserved a space out front for him. Mm. Now, in my imagination, fill in the blanks. I'm thinking, well, this is too much of a coincidence. I'm going to do an article on Doble. I'm going to meet Jay Leno and do an article on Doble. I mean, mm. you know, I mean, this, how does this happen otherwise? I sign books. Jay Leno never shows up. And I stay as late as I can and still have time to get to El Segundo. I sign a copy of Cars and Parts magazine and say, uh, sorry I missed you, you know, I wanted to talk about your doble. We, we, my wife and I get home Sunday night and she says, on the answering machine, she says, you gotta hear this, and it's Jay Leno. Oh, he no. says, I'm sorry I missed you. He no showed way. up 15 minutes after I left, oh, and of the man. hundreds and hundreds of oh, cars dude. that he's owning, <laughs> he shows up in his new doble steam car oh. 15 minutes after I left. Well, it gets better, and this will, this will amuse you as a writer. At the time, he was doing a program called Jay Leno's Garage Book Club, interviewing book automotive authors and writers and things, and, and he was intrigued because I was the articles I had written for uh, Cars and Parts was in a series of articles called The Independent Thinker, strange stories, unusual people like the blind man who invented cruise control. And... Uh, Anyway, I had written a book on Checker, and I had written a book on the big book of car culture. About six months into this, I get a call from uh, Jay Leno's uh, uh, producer of this program, and he says, can, do you think you can come over and do an interview at Jay's garage for this? Well, it took me three, four months to coordinate our schedules. Well, in the meantime, in that three or four month period, when we finally got the schedule straight, about three weeks before I went over there, everything got confirmed, I called my publisher all excited. The big book of car culture had took the uh, gold medal at the International Automotive Media Awards, but it had sold really poorly. So I called my publisher all excited. I says, I know this book has sold bad. Man, have I got an opportunity. <laughs> and he says, gosh, I wish that would have happened last month. We've decided not to reprint, and we've remanded all copies to Sam's Club. Oh, oh God. So now I've got an interview with Jay Leno and no book. 
<laughs> so we promoted the book anyway, and the Checker Cab book, and got into Jay's garage. And I'm not going to say we're best friends, but uh, <laughs> he shows up every. I do a book signing every year in Burbank. Maybe not this year. He Can shows we get him on up. A podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll call Let's me up. Call him right now. Yeah, you guys number. <laughs> no, I don't. But I'll tell you another one. Do you remember the movie? Uh, uh, the kid with the Red Ryder BB gun Christmas story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You'll put your eye out. Exactly. I love that movie. And he got the uh, Annie Oak, uh, the, the Orphan Annie decoder ring. ring, and he was all excited. Well, before I, the day before I left over for Jay Leno's garage, I was I just, like a little kid, his producer called me up and gave me the gate key, the gate numbers for Jay Leno's garage when I got there. And, of course, I feel privileged. Right. Until I get there and find that the numbers are scratched in the side of the box because Jay and some of the people can't remember the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, I didn't even write it, it down for you. It's like, hey, it's it's his garage is awesome as a it's seat. amazing. It was it's a series of garages. It's a it's quite a few. He's a very very fascinating fellow. He works on his own cars. Uh, it, it's just an amazing you know amazing place. And it's, it, the relationship is odd. I'm not going to say we're friends, but I, when I sign books, he usually shows up. And uh, he'll call me just out of the blue. Uh, I'll get a phone call, uh, you know, like in December. And he says, something strange, like Sunday night, 9 o'clock, I'll get a call. And says, uh, are you familiar with that 1940 Pontiac that was made with plex- clear plexiglass that was at the World's Fair? And he says, I thought you might want to know I bought that. Well, i got to go. <laughs> <laughs> and then he'll call me up a year later and we'll talk for two hours about steam engines. You're his go-to guy for car stuff, man. Uh-huh. Just, it's just odd. You know? Or old car but, stuff. But that's the kind of thing, you know, with this, this writing. That's some of the great rewards that come with it. Mm-hmm. You start meeting people. You start talking to people. And yeah. I think telling a, like a story in general is just... It, it, you're right. It doesn't pay shit. It pays yeah. absolutely. Unless you're like the one percent. Well, yeah. well you like but it opens <laughs> doors. It, it opens incredible doors. You meet some great people. Yeah. You do. Uh, I went to Europe the first time in 2015, and I was there for two weeks. My total out-of-pocket expenses were less than eight hundred dollars, all because of this. Yeah. I got paid to go to speak at the, uh, one of the largest uh, tourism fairs in Western Europe, and. Uh, wow. So it opens doors. It's a hobby. I mean, some guys buy, you know, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm 44, I'm going to go buy a motorcycle or a fast car that I can't afford, or I'm going to go to, like, Portland and cover riots or do <laughs> something stupid, sleep with homeless people under a bridge. Like, everyone has their kicks, and I think writing is one of them. It's... It is kind of like a you develop a, weird a drug. You, you develop a deeper understanding of the prospector who used to you see in the movies that would wander the desert with his mule until he dropped dead, knowing that the strike is over the next hill, and you just keep going. But uh, no, I I I I adhere to a very simple philosophy with, with writing and everything in life, in that you all of us have gifts and talents, and we have a responsibility and obligation to develop those. To be a blessing unto others, and uh, if it makes money, God bless. But you have that responsibility to develop the talents that you have. Tell their stories. Yeah. Tell their stories. Tell them. I mean, there's so many out there right now. It's like, I'm having a hard time keeping up. Right you now. know, and, and if we here in Cayman, getting back to tourism, how do we bring tourism back? The stories. 
Yeah. You know, one of the great things that we've been able to do through uh, Scott Dutton's uh, Route 66 Association, we hold, I've worked with him, we hold receptions for these tour groups uh, that come in. Last year we did one for uh, the Dutch Route 66 Association down at Dutton Motors. And we had catered, had a big dinner, and the chief of police uh, showed up, uh, and uh, the guy with the mayor stopped by. We made a big thing of what that does is foster an awareness. Why are people Why are people stopping in Kingman on purpose, all the way from <laughs> Netflix, from, from Netflix <laughs> to Netherlands? But it fosters that awareness, creates that you know that interest. Um, and here in Kingman, the stories we just had a fellow come through Kingman. I couldn't coordinate with him, but uh, he just recently. Week ago, this past Sunday, so he's been on the road almost two weeks. Lives in uh, New Hampshire. I can't remember where it was at, New Hampshire. But he just said, you know, I've got four weeks before I can start back to work because of this COVID. He's been down most of the summer. He says, I've always wanted to do Route 66. He lives in New Hampshire. Well, that's, so, New Hampshire. that's a long drive. You know what made the drive even more yeah. crazy? He's doing it in a stock 1929 Ford. Oh dear Lord! Wow! Uh, wow. In the uh, not last night he was he stayed in Barstow, California. Ouch! He needles the night before. Oh wow! <laughs> but, but here's this guy. But here's this guy doing his 19. Here's a guy running the road in the 19. What kind? Of, look at that story. And the thing is, he's about 35 years old. He's not an old timer. That's cool yeah. though. Yeah. It, I mean, it makes. When I read your book, I'm like, I want to travel Route 66 and go check out yeah. a lot of those, like those world's biggest <laughs> oh, things. Yeah, yeah. I want to go see all those and just travel and, in and general. like just all the old stuff. Yeah. I like it. Springsteen cool. talks about it in his book. What what makes yeah. Route 66 unique? You know, US six is more interesting. I mean, there's more stuff on US six than there is 66. But what makes 66 fascinating is the infectious spirit of the people you meet on the road. You meet them traveling. You meet business owners. Uh, you meet, it's just astounding, the infectious spirit. This fella today, just on Facebook, was talking about this Route 66 trip he took in his Model A. And he summed it up really nicely. But you meet... It's because everyone's getting their kicks. Well, it becomes, a, it becomes an absolute a family. For lack of a better word, it becomes literally a family. Uh, I was sitting in a, t a little bar in uh, Belgium one night, and uh, this fellow come up started talking to me, and we ended up talking three, four hours. And it all started because I gave the bartender some stuff from Route 66. And that's all it took. We ended up having a conversation about the Articles of Confederation, how our government worked, all kinds of things. Uh, the, the Dutch Route 66 Association threw me a, a little reception in, um, at De Praal in Amsterdam. And uh, next thing I know, people that I'd met on the road here, they came all the way from Germany for the party. And it was like a family reunion. This, this sums it up, if I may, here. I'll share this with you. This is from the fellow who's just driving his 29 Ford. And he started posting daily from the road. And he says, I never would have expected my Facebook posts to take off as they have. Uh, this was intended just to keep friends and concerned family in the loop about my trip. I'm doing this trip because I've always wanted to, and I wanted to see America's current state from a different view. I left with no set plans other than I was going to follow Route 66 as much as I could. And uh, all my stops have been random. I know I've missed a lot. I have no chase car. 
And he says here, uh, the people along Route 66 have been absolutely amazing. Caring people that will go out of their way to make sure you have a great experience in visit. And it, it, it's, it's just mind-boggling. Uh, I met a family here in, on Route 66, signed their book. They were in Las Vegas one year for Thanksgiving. I went out to a ranch I used to work on for Thanksgiving, and I invited them along. And that's all it took. Route 66 was the link. And a few years ago, I was in Germany, and they picked us up from the airport. They live about 20 miles from Frankfurt. And our 37th wedding anniversary was spent in a castle on the Rhine River. Awesome. Because of Route 66. And stories. Aaron, you know, just sit down here on the road and watch the people. French mimes trying to set a stilt walking record from Chicago to Los Angeles. Uh, 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 he made it as far as Oklahoma before he had a heat stroke. And oh. I started. If my question was. Is this a challenge? How, how, do you, how do you mime for help? Well, better yet, that's exactly what I thought. How does a French mime call for help in Oklahoma? You get out of character. But, that's how you do uh, it. There was a group of people that did Route 66 recently on pre-1916 motorcycles. Uh, I, I met a World War II veteran. that He and his wife had, after the war, gotten married. And they went to California on Route 66 with a 1940 Harley and a sidecar. And they wanted to do the trip again, so they restored a 1940 Harley. She got sick. She died. He had lung cancer. They took out one lung and part of his other lung. And they said, you're not going to do this. The guy, the guy lived in uh, North Carolina. He said, no, I'm going to do this. He rigged up his sidecar with his oxygen equipment. And he did Route 66 on his 1940 Harley. I want to hear more about this That's stuff. Awesome. That sounds like fun. Japanese long-distance runner was recreating the Bunyan Derby. And just ran Route 66. Oh my God. All right. I've got to get my shit together really fucking quick. Like in the next I know we deviated hours. there, and I do apologize. <laughs> no, I I've kind of been losing it lately, but I keep Route hearing about stuff like this. Route 66 is bringing you back. <laughs> just, just, just on a side, side trip, Aaron, I've been following your posts about the homeless people downtown. Uh, this is all I'll say about this, but I want to get this out there. How do you respond to people that say that you're exploiting them? There's one person that was really ragging me about it. I don't want to name her. Yeah. I, I don't want to call her out. She's like the one person that... You're giving them cash money. You're just letting them buy drugs. I'm like, I do not give these people cash. Right. I, you know what? If they're, if they're that hurting, I'll go buy water, Gatorade... Circle K hot dogs, beef jerky, nuts, whatever. I will not give them cash because I know. I don't see how anybody could think of it as anything but a good thing, that what you're trying to do there. You know what? I'm always going to get one of those assholes who's just going to lay into me. These people, are, some of these people out here are so easy upset. They're going to cry if you hang them with a new rope. They're just... They're right. Just, they're going to like, complain when they get to heaven. Like, they're going to always have something like to 95% of, of people are supporting me right now. Like, even if I would you say did, 9 out of 10 people are like, yeah, you go. One's like, well, what the fuck are you doing? Like, taking a picture of some chick smoking meth, man. Is, that's not a good thing. Like, you shouldn't post that. I'm like... Why are you giving them money? 
Even if you did give them money, what good is she doing by sitting then it's like then what are you doing to help i didn't give him cash i took a picture and it's one of the best pictures i've ever taken in my fucking life i know but even if you did give them money it's like what i love when people call other people out but it's like what good are you doing like are you down hanging out in the fucking alleys right now i'm gonna walk down there right now in like an hour and go hang out and fucking pass out you know, I got donations from people like sanitary items. Right. The way like, I see like it is like water. you're treating them like human beings. I mean, exactly. that's how I look right, at right. it when Thank I see you. your posts. Let, let's touch on that minute. So you're, you're working with a couple people that are gathering supplies for them. I have, yes. yes. Well, Nancy, what's wrong with that? There, there are very, there are a lot of supportive people here, and I'm actually. Surprised, I'm happy considering the amount of negativity in this town when it comes to stuff like you, you know well, what, you just gotta ignore the fuck haters. those people, you know, they're just a bunch of drunks and junkies and they just need to put down the bottle and the needle. It's like, right. no, it's not that easy. I, I think the, the majority of people here are good people, though. I mean, yeah. it's just a few mm-hmm. loud mouths that kind of, kind mm-hmm. of ruin it. But are you really gonna embed with them? No, no, that's that's a good answer. I'm not supposed to. Okay. <laughs> Shut up. All right, we'll, we'll leave that to for right now. Right. So, Jim. I know we deviated a little bit here. Yeah, we, we, kind of, we call it off-roading. Yes. Um, but we were talking about this before we turned this thing on, but I wanted to touch on it. You were saying that we might not get tourism back fully for like two years. Longer than that, but I mean, we're gonna we probably won't see if we get a handle on things, including the societal unrest as well as the virus. If we get a handle on that, we can start seeing tourism next summer, but it's it's going to be a small percentage. But I've preached this for a long time with in Route 66 communities. I speak on economic development. You have two distinct markets: the international and the domestic, and they're, they're, Route 66 is the common denominator. But you, you think about a domestic market. People are doing staycations, weekend getaways, things of that nature. So they want something within three, 400 miles of home. That gives us a potential market of over 10 million people that we could be reaching out to. Okay. Um, one of the subjects, not get too political on, on this subject today, but we've touched on is um, the fight downtown whether it's mask mandates or not mask mandates that have slowed business down and I've made the argument is it's a lot of the lack of tourism has really hurt well, that aspect of yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's everything. I mean, you know, you, you got the people who are gonna argue and fight over the mask mandate. That's 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 part of it. You've got people who are uh afraid. exactly paranoid. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. They're just not gonna. They're not gonna go anyplace. Right. That, I mean, that's why I don't go out. And then the tourism. Yeah. The tourism being down. Uh, and then the the, the 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 random and arbitrary shutdowns of businesses. You know, like like here in Kingman, we have Diana's is closed, Blackbridge is open. You know, I mean. Right. And this kind of thing. You know, and so it's a multitude of things. There's a lot of people to blame, but my thought on this right now is. The, the blame game and all that stuff is after you've won the war. 
right now it's a matter of fix things mm-hmm. and we'll worry about the rest of it later. Right. Yes. And I don't see why, like after 9-11, we all kind of came together and we all didn't have a political division for at least a few months. For like two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. I mean, whatever it was. But Out here it was like two weeks. It, it seems like in a crisis like what, what we're going through now is we would come together yes. instead of getting further separated. And I, I just don't understand that concept. Yeah, it, that, that probably to me is one of the most troubling aspects of what we're dealing with. And uh, there again, there's plenty of people we can blame. We can pull from Will Rogers and, and, and just look at uh, that we have the best politicians money can buy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it, bottom line is, you know, it, it's, it's personal. And people, this is what they've chosen uh, to allow themselves. Politics by nature is very nasty and, and, and divisive. Uh, and it's international. Politics, wherever you're at, it's like cleaning stables. It comes in different colors, but it all smells about the same. And uh, it's up to the people, you know, if they're going to be, allow themselves to be divided. It's uh, up to them to do the, the research and uh, to be informed and to realize that the people that you are putting these conservative, Democrat, whatever labels, and they're your neighbors, and they're as concerned as you are about their kids, their future. Uh, and until we get to that point, the divisions will continue. Yeah, that's one thing I've always said is, deep down, we all want conservative, Democrat. Yeah. We all want the same things. We want to be healthy. We want yeah. families to be healthy. We want to, you know, do well in life. And not struggle, and it seems very basic, mm-hmm. but for some reason it's not. Well, that's all, that's, and that's universal. You find when you travel, you need to sit down with people all over the world, and if you cut through the BS, uh, that it all comes down to the same things. It's a matter of how we get there. And uh, this situation we're in is, is pretty serious. The division's probably one of the most disturbing things we have right now, and politics by nature is divisive. You know, it's 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 kind of like being a car salesman on steroids. How do you tell convince somebody a Ford's better than a Chevy? They're really basically the same thing, but but it's the salesmanship. How do you convince somebody? Well, it, it, so politics by nature is divisive, and if we we have to go beyond that and see it as neighbors. Well, this was great today. It's really fun, and so everybody. Please check out Jim's books, Murder Mayhem on the Main Streets of America. You can find it on Amazon or Jim Hinckley's America. You can find Jim Hinckley on Facebook. You can find Jim Hinckley's America on Facebook. And is there any other social media platforms? Yeah, JimHinckley'sAmerica.com, then uh, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, the the Instagram I really like. Um, Uh, You just finished the 365 days of Jim Hinckley, which is always interesting. I've been watching this. So now I'm doing a decade with Jim. But uh, I, uh, I have that going YouTube channel. And what, what's on the YouTube channel? Well, I do uh, the Coffee with Jim programs on Sunday morning. Uh, I archive them on the YouTube channel. And then uh, other videos on the road, interviews with people, uh, things of that nature. My On the Road program, uh, On the Road with Jim, is sponsored in part by the Uranus Fudge Company and General Store. <laughs> Where are they located? They're <laughs> St. Robert, Missouri, Route 66. Did you stop there when you were going no. to Cuba? No, no, I didn't. It's oh, the ultimate juvenile humor stop. 
I want to go. It's it's <laughs> it's just any, anything you can think of that goes with Uranus Fudge Company. Louis Keen has done it. He dresses up in Uncle Sam overalls and uh, he's and it's a full complex. He's got escape rooms, uh, the world's largest collection of circus sideshow memorabilia. Uh, <laughs> I want to go. Axe throwing. Uh, a, a great candy shop, fudge shop, and, and goods. Uh, just you name it. And he's got a hunting and fishing store, camping store, all in this complex. But he's, he's just a master showman. As you can see, I can do this all day. But uh, no, the, the, the county newspaper, one of the small county newspapers, has been in business for years. And like a lot of newspapers, straight down. Louis bought the newspaper. And it made it free for everybody in the county. Uh, but he caught a bunch of flack because he renamed the newspaper the Uranus Examiner. <laughs> and he had BBC and all kinds of people swarm the place for interviews. But So now the newspaper is the Uranus Examiner. I need to rework my game plan here. All right, let's, all, let's do a weekend trip to Cuba. <laughs> Why not? I, 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 I always was able to spend two or three hours there, but I wish it would, was longer. I, I would, uh, it's, if, if they hadn't, I, I could, it's a place I could live. It's, it's a comfortable town. And um, most of the people, everybody I've met, I've had the opportunity, I, I, uh, up until this summer, I worked uh, with their economic development and tourism angle and uh, spent uh, sometimes three, four, five days there. And I would spend five days there, never eat in the same restaurant, and never eat a bad meal. In a town of 3,500 people. Uh -huh. And just, just for reference, that's approximately two hours south of St. Louis? No, a little less. It's about uh, 70 miles uh, uh, west of St. Louis, southwest, southwest of St. Louis, yeah. Yeah, well, not St. Louis, you know, there again. There's good places and bad. Like I like Missouri. Yeah. No. I went to um, one year for a family reunion. We did uh, Table Rock Lake. It's pretty there. Yeah. And when you were when I read the chapter about Missouri, it's easy to see why there were so many accidents there. There, it is like rolling hills. Like you kind of feel like you're driving a roller coaster. Well, and then you Missouri. and then take that take those roads. There again, Missouri, Arizona, wherever. And, and, and I'll put a million vehicles. And not just a million vehicles, but think about it. You've got a, you've got a brand new 53 Buick Roadmaster with a V8 engine. And here's Grandpa with his Model A Ford truck. And here's the farmer pulling hay behind his tractor. And then you've got 18 Weavers. Right. All packed on there. And you've got bridges that, like the Chain of Rocks Bridge in uh, St. Louis has a 28 degree bend in the middle of the river. And you got two lanes of traffic going across that bridge, and you've got no shoulder. Uh, just you know, it's just a nightmare. Yeah. I, I was old enough to I came in at the tail end of it, but uh, Route 66 now is a lot more enjoyable, a lot more fun. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go. Did you go to the place where it has like? I can't remember what state it was in, but when I watched that um, little trip. They had a place that had sodas, and they had like over hundreds of different flavors of sodas, like the pops in Arcadia, Oklahoma, with, okay. a, big, with a big soda pop bottle up front. I gotta the go there. Answer. There's two. There's one closer for you that's not talked about. 
uh, Galago's store in uh, Los Angeles, Highland Park area of Los Angeles. Store has been there. It's a family-owned store since the 1890s. But it's a, a beautiful old-style butcher shop on a huge, monstrous section of most bizarre soda pops you've ever seen. And then another section with just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of beer. Cool. But the one in Arcadia is kind of a blending of the Jetsons and a 1950s malt shop. But you can get all kinds of things like bacon-flavored soda. And, uh, I've tried that. Celery it's, soda. It's not as good as it sounds. <laughs> it doesn't sound good. No, it doesn't sound good. <laughs> it really it, doesn't sound good. It, 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 in, in theory, it sounds great, but in like practice, I tried it. I think I got it in San Luis Obispo, and I drank like two drinks of it, and I'm like, there's a just immediately went to the next surgery and spewed it up all over the place. Yeah, there's a bar in Las Vegas, mm. the Double Down, that has a bacon the martini. Double Down. Yeah, <laughs> some bands for when I was a roadie briefly for a small band here, we played there. <laughs> Is that where we went? Did we go there? Did they also have a shot called Ass down? Juice. Have you both been to the Double Down? It's kind of called the Double Dump. Oh. It's over by one of the Naked City I know where pizza the Double locations. Yeah, it's in that <laughs> area. Thank you. It's been good. Right. I hope this helps. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on, and you know, yeah, we'll, thank we'll, you. we'll definitely have you back because we you have a lot of stories you could tell. Thank you. You know, and uh, we really appreciate you, definitely. and uh, hopefully we'll get back on track here soon, and. Uh, and then we'll get back to some kind of some normalcy. We can get on the other side of the apocalypse. Yeah. See what's on the other yeah. side. Did you see like two hurricanes are coming into the yes. Gulf of Mexico? At once. At yes. once. Amazing stuff. They're going to duke it out. Oh, Jesus. This year, man. 2020. Well, they get close to each other, they'll do this circle around each well, other. Dance. Can we bet on them? Why can't they cancel like each other out? No, they, they, they don't. They'll go cool. the same direction, but when oh. they do, they kind of they'll kind of start circling around each other and like a, doing like a dance in a cycle. They, it happens all the time in the Pacific. It's now. just there in the. Um, it just never happened there in the Gulf. The du- of du- double hurricanes and uh, fire tornadoes. Crazy. Thanks, 2020. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, we will check in again next week, but um, take it easy, everybody, and we will see you later. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye.